Today we are going to be looking at um, how to have time for everything you need to do for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. How many of you guys feel that uh, we're just running out of time? And that no matter how, what you do or how you do, it just seems like there's never enough time to get done the things that you need to do. And it seems like there is so much in God's Word. There's so much in your family. There's so much in your health, in your relations with others, that it's just like, where do I have time to do what I believe God is calling me to do? It's, is, there, is there people here? Yes. So today, what we're going to be looking at is how you can have time for everything to do that you need to do for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. But be first, let us begin with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you very much for this opportunity that we have to um, come together to study your word. Father, I pray that you will please guide our thoughts and our minds, be with us as we open your word, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you will um, help us to rightly divide the word of truth and help us to know how we can find practical, problem, uh, pro practical solutions to the everyday problems that we face um, in our daily lives and help us to be fit for your service, to prepare to enter into eternity. We pray that we can be found faithful and that you can be um, here in our presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So um, we're going to be looking at how we can have time. So this uh, message is uh, largely inspired by um, a quote that I read. It was in Ministry of Healing, page uh, 208, and it was very inspiring. Ministry of Healing 208, it said, If every moment were rightly valued and employed, we will have time for everything we need to do for Christ, for ourselves, and for the world. Mm -hmm. If every moment were rightly valued and employed. So my goal today is to help us to understand how can we, from the Word of God, value every moment and rightly employ them for Christ, for ourselves, and for the world. Um, and what we saw in the scripture reading was in Matthew 25, it gives us parable. And in this parable, it's a parable of the ten talents. And God gave to one, he gave two. To another, he gave five. And to one, he gave but one talent. But everybody was received talents. And God was looking for an increase, was he not? Yes. But what happened to the man that had that one talent? He buried it, he buried it in the earth. Yes. He didn't use it. Have you guys ever wondered what are your talents? What are, have you ever wondered, like, what are my talents? What are my gifts? Why, what do I have to offer to the cause of Christ? When Jesus comes a second time and he finds that for every talent that is buried, was Jesus happy with the man who buried it? Was it enough to just possess it? No, God wanted an increase. God has a plan for your life that I would submit may be bigger than you now realize. And if you're ever wondering, what are your talents? I would submit to you that there are, um, that you have a hidden talent that Satan doesn't want you to know. Because if you realize and discover what your talent is, 
then you would dedicate it to Christ's service, steal subjects from his kingdom, and prepare them for eternity. And he doesn't want to lose the grasp through your influence. So if you're ever wondering, what, what are my talents? I want to give you this acronym, your hidden talents. And we're going to spell talent. So if you're taking notes, you can spell T-A-L-E-N-T. It's an acronym that shows you your hidden talents. T stands for thoughts. It stands for what? Thoughts. thoughts. Did you know that your thoughts are a gift? That these, um, Proverbs 8:12 it says that I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out the knowledge of witty inventions. That every good idea, every innovative idea, it comes from Christ that is honest and true. So your thoughts are an, a talent God seeks for us to cultivate. How many people here have thoughts? Yes? Oh, praise the Lord. You are all very talented individuals. Now, some have different degrees of thoughts and different things you understand, but we're all, uh, we all have thoughts. So that's T in the talent framework, your hidden talent. A is acquired money. Did you know that money, acquired money, the money that you have acquired is actually a talent that God wants you to use for his service? With every penny, it will be shown whether you love God supremely and your neighbor as yourself. And it is, and uh, so money is a talent that God wants to give us. In fact, it's represented in Matthew 25. Um, and L in talent, your hidden talent, L stands for Loving communication. Loving what? Loving communication. Communication. So each of us, we have the gift of speech. We're able to communicate one to another. And of no talents that is given to us could be of best use and benefit and blessing to others than the gift of our speech. And it's being able to cultivate this, the words that we speak to others can make a huge difference in the lives of others. We're going to look at that. So we're spelling talents, T-A-L. E stands for expanding influence. Expanding what? Expanding influence. 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 Did you know that influence is a talent? Now you might say, well, I don't have influence. I don't influence anybody. But the truth is, every man, woman, and child has influence. Everything that we do and everything that we don't do is influencing those around us. And the question is, are you, how are you using your influence to lead others to Christ? This is what God is looking for from his people. So we're spelling talent. In, in stands for natural health. It's natural what? Health. health. Health is a talent. Strength is a talent. These are the things that we use our muscles for. This is the thing, maybe it's a knowledge of natural health, or maybe it is our physical strength, the ability to uh, move and to do to whatever degree. If we're alive, we have natural health. And God is asking us, how are we going to use our health for His glory and for His service? And then T, the last one in talent, your hidden talent is time. The gift of time. Did you know that time is a precious gift? Yes. We're going to look at this. Time is a precious talent. And in this talent, it has, God has given to all men equally, which is very interesting because the President of the United States to the mother of three children, they all have the same amount of time. And so God is going to, of, of no other talent is God going to look for 
a more stricter account than the use of our time. So the big thing that's heavy upon many of our minds is time. I don't have time. Or everybody, everything takes time. Every la- relationship takes time. Every, every, um, every activity. We're like, where am I going to have the time to do these things that God has put upon my heart to do? Um, so we're going to be looking at how many people want to know how to have enough time for everything you need to do for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. Okay, well then, looks like we're in the right place. We're going to see how, what does the Word of God say about the talent of time and how we can rightly value and employ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse 16, Proverbs 18, 16. See, time is a gift. A what? A gift. Do we really treat it as such? Or do we take it for granted? What is this gift going to do for us in our lives? Proverbs 18, verse 16, we see in the Bible, the Word of God says, Proverbs 18, 16, A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before, what kind of men? Great. Great men. So it is your gift. Every person on this earth has a gift. I just gave you six gifts that God has given to you individually, uniquely. And you know every talent, every skill, every ability, every unique gift fits under one of these six talents. I can't, you can't name a gift that doesn't fit under one of these six that you just wrote down in your notes. But it is your gifts that's going to make room for you. It's your talents. The thing that God has given to you to be employed for His service and to serve God and humanity that is going to open up opportunities. It's your cultivated skills, if you will, that you are a, that are going to show whether or not you stand before kings or whether you... Um, it, it's going to, to show the impact that we have in this world. Um, so we're going to look at if it is our gift that makes room for us. We're specifically looking at the gift of time today, although there are those six gifts that God gives us. Um, I'm going to share with you four big ideas in this message, four big ideas that shows us um, how God regards time. The first big idea is that your time is of infinite value. Your time is of infinite what? Value. How, how do we know this? Let's look at what does the Word of God say in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5 and verse 16. What admonition has been given to us regarding our time? What are we to do with this? Ephesians 5 verse 16 and 17. The Bible says, Redeeming the what? The time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So God encourages us to redeem the time. That's very interesting. For a number of reasons, what does redeem mean? Redeem, when you look it up in the dictionary, it means to buy back. It means to purchase back. Or it means to improve the use of. God wants us to redeem the time because the truth is time squandered can never be gathered again. So the only way to redeem the time is to make the best use 
of that which remains. It's very interesting, when we think of the word redemption or redeemed, how often do our minds go to time? What is it, when, when we think of uh, the plan of redemption, what, what does our mind usually go to? The cross. We, we think of Jesus. We think of this plan of salvation. Could it be possible that your time is actually connected with a plan of redemption? Or possibly the, the cross of Calvary? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. How is redemption connected with your time? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. We're looking at time as a talent. How could we have the time to do what God has called you to do? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Is there a connection between time and redemption? The Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Why? For ye are bought with a what? A price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the truth is that you have been purchased with a price. What price? did God purchase you with? The infinite price of Christ's blood, the infinite price of Calvary. Did you know that when, when Christ was, was dying on the cross for your sins, that he loved you so much that he didn't just die for you, um, he, he purchased you. You belong to God by creation and redemption. You are his. And when Christ purchased your life, He's actually purchasing your time. Because I've heard it once said that you can think about it this way. Time is the stuff that life is made out of. How we spend our time is how we spend our life. When Christ gave up his life to redeem yours, this is why Christ can say that we ought to redeem the time. Do you realize that this war that is taking place between Christ and Satan, this war over your soul is, is partly the war over your time. The devil is seeking to grab your time and to use it for his service or to waste it away as that unfaithful servant who buried his talent in the earth and he didn't use it. He didn't improve it. He didn't buy it back. He didn't trade upon that time so that there could be increase so that when Christ comes, he can have more souls that are brought to him as a result of how you use your time. So when you think about the value of your time, do you think about the death and the blood of Christ? The sacrifice? How do you realize that our Heavenly Father, our loving Father, exhausted Heaven's resources in giving us His Son. This is the value of your time. This is the price that Christ paid for our lives. And we will, we will see that even if we do not lose our souls, we are going to realize in eternity the results of every unused talent. For all the knowledge and the ability that we might have gained, if we, if, and, and if, we, if we used our time, there will be an eternal loss. There is eternal consequence every moment of our life 
there are eternal results that are taking place. So realize that our time is not just here one day and it wastes away. Our, our, the effects of our time, the fruit of our time is going to have an influence on our eternity. And I'm not saying you're going to be lost if you don't use your time, but think about souls who could be in the kingdom through the right use of your time today. What is one thing that we get to do today that we won't be able to do in heaven? It's winning souls for Christ. This is a privilege, not just a duty, but a joy, and a, a privilege to be able to participate. Angels wish that they can play a part like you and I can for our fellow man. But how do we value our time? I'll say again that if every moment was valued and rightly employed, we, we will have all the time to do everything for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. I'm going to share this multiple times. But first, we have to value the time and realize that our time belongs to God. Our time is redeemed. It is purchased back. And we should be looking for ways. We can be looking for ways by God's grace to redeem our time, to improve the use of our time for His glory, for His cause, and for time and eternity. So that's the big idea number one, is that your time is of what kind of value? Infinite value. Your time is of infinite value because it was purchased by the infinite price of Calvary. So big idea number two is I believe God is calling His people to be able to, uh, to turn our callings into our careers. Because what is the thing that when you look at our life, what, what takes up, like if you look at your day, you got 24 hours in the day, let's break it into eight blocks. So for eight hours a day, you're sleeping, right? And generally speaking, eight hours a day, what do most people do? They work, they go to work, right? And then the other eight hours a day, you have the, the rest of your life. So in other words, a third of your life, you are spent working. You are spent in, in some sort of form of employment or occupation. The word occupation means how you occupy your time. So I believe that there is a redemptive, that God desires there to be a redemptive quality, an evangelistic nature of our occupations, of our careers, of the way that, that God has called us not just to, um, to get a job and to go throughout the days, pay our rent, go to sleep, go to work, pay our rent, go to sleep, and that there is a higher calling upon each one of us. And I see one of the things, unfortunately, that prevents a lot of God's children from uh, laboring, using more of their time for Christ's service is what? The, the work. And I'm not saying work is not good, but sometimes um, the, the, the occupations we choose. Is our occupation a choice? Do we have the ability to choose how we occupy our time and where, where we labor with? Yes. But sometimes the occupation we choose restrict, it tends to compete with our calling. But I believe that it is God's will, not that our calling and our career would compete with each other, but that they would complete each other, that they would complement one another. We see, if you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, Paul 
gives this admonition to the Roman church. And I believe work is a blessing. I believe that, that God wants us to be diligent workers. I'm not saying quit your jobs and go into full-time ministry and, and do nothing. I'm saying, um, well, we're seeing, let's look at what the Bible says. Does the, does the Bible teach that to be a Christian means that we have no uh, competency in business lines? Romans 12 and verse 11, the Bible says, um, actually, let's read in verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, honoring, preferring, in honor, preferring one another. Be not slothful in what? Business. Business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Did you guys catch that? I don't know. Some of you did. Paul is saying that be not slothful in business, serving the Lord. Did you know that your business can be your vehicle for serving Christ? That your calling and your career don't have to compete, that they can complete one another. And imagine if one third of your life was spent in eighth of your 24 hour days, I mean, I'm sorry, a third or eight hours of your day is spent in your work why, have, why employ yourself in a work that doesn't allow you to spread your faith? Why not align your calling with your career? We can see that this principle, it did, uh, did Paul, did Paul live up to the light that he was encouraging others? What was Paul's occupation? He was a tent maker. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we see this, um, Acts chapter 18, and we see in verse 1, I like to refer to this as um, gospel entrepreneurship because we see uh, this all throughout scriptures. God's people were entrepreneurs. Many times they were business owners, like Paul. Paul was a business owner. He had a tent-making business, and he was a minister of the gospel of Christ. And we read in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, the Bible says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named who? Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come of Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Paul was a business owner. He was a minister of the gospel. But it was through his business that it brought him in contact with a group of people that he otherwise wouldn't have access to. Through tent making, he met Aquila and Priscilla. And did he have, a, did he have his business owner hat on one side and his minister hat on the other and he just kept these things separate from one another? No, he used his business as a vehicle to serve Christ. He shared with them the gospel. And, and Aquila and Priscilla, these were uh, men, uh, this was husband and wife partner, um, and they met Apollos. And Apollos was a preacher of the gospel, but he only understood the baptism of John. He didn't fully understand, but they gave him Bible study, and they explained the way more openly to Apollos. So these gospel entrepreneurs also use their business as a vehicle to spread the gospel. And Apollos became this uh, he waxed great. He was a, an eloquent speaker, and he was able to um, speak to uh, the Jews, and he was able to share even so much that 1 Corinthians 3, it says that um, some say, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. 
because Apollos was reached by these gospel entrepreneurs and they use, they, they, they use their business as a vehicle for service. We actually see this throughout Genesis to Revelation. But let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 4. These are some of the early, early businesses in, in the history of mankind. Genesis chapter 4, we'll see what was, what was one of the uh, first businesses that the Word of God talks about. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 2. We're going to see... Genesis 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, And she, Eve, bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a what? Keeper of the sheep. He was a keeper of the sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. Did you know that in Bible times, the farmers are businessmen. They're business owners. The shepherds, the keepers of the sheep, they're business owners. That their sheep was their, their business. And you know what's interesting about this is why was Abel a keeper of the sheep? What happened in Genesis 3:21? Um, Adam and Eve, they sinned and they were naked and God came to them. And he said, Adam, where are you? He's like, well, I saw I was naked and I hid from you. Well, who told you you were naked? And what did God do with their nakedness? The Lord God made coats of skin and he clothed them. Genesis 3:21. Now skin doesn't just come out of thin air. Proverbs 27, it says, Thy lambs are for clothing. Revelation 13, 8, it says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That clothing, that lamb, that lamb represented Christ on Calvary. That Jesus was coming to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3, and he's communicating the plan of redemption. And he's showing that I am going to die for your sins. That this innocent lamb who does not there's no reason for them to die. A lamb had to die from the foundation of the world because sin entered this world. And it was through, and this is why the, the shepherds were, um, were raising sheep. They were keeping sheep for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of spreading the gospel, for the purpose of understanding the plan of redemption. Are you guys seeing what I'm, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Abel was a gospel entrepreneur. His business was his vehicle for spreading and serving the Lord and to share the plan of salvation through these sacrificial offerings. And we see this um, again in Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Um, I, I, I share these examples that we might look, first of all, they, I believe that these men are an example of what's possible for each one of us. They're an example of men who did not allow the temporal blessings of the Lord to start to crowd out the spiritual blessings and the privileges. That these were men who were blessed, but they used their blessings to serve Christ. They were missionaries to the marketplace. They were gospel entrepreneurs. That they didn't um, have Christ one day a week at church. They represented Christ all throughout their week. They used their time as their occupation, how they occupied their time as a vehicle to spread the gospel. And I believe it's by this compartmentalizing our time and our life in these different sections that we, 
that we tend to feel like, I don't have time to do what I'm called to do. I don't have time to share my faith. I don't have time to do these things. But if we would really see what are we already doing and how can we use these things as a means to share Christ with the world, I believe we would have enough time for everything we need to do for Christ, for ourselves, and for the world. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, the Bible says, And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Was Abraham rich? No. The Bible says he was very rich. Yes. So Abraham was very rich. But does being rich mean that you can't be a missionary? Did Abraham, and it says he was rich in what? In cattle, in silver and gold. Why did he have cattle? Because again, the cattle was used for the sacrificial services. It was a part of sharing the gospel. And in his, his business, Abraham was a business owner. And he used his business as he traveled from place to place. What do cattle need in order to grow, in order to develop his business? They need water and what else? grass. They need green pastures. So he was traveling. He was a pilgrim and he went from place to place. And was he a worshiper of the true God? Yes, Yes, he was. So every place that he went in the land of Canaan among the heathen, he erected these altars. And it was from these altars, they were memorials that there was a worshiper of the true God. There were memorials. how, how How did Abraham use his business for evangelism? It was by these altars that were placed throughout the land of Canaan that when people saw it, they understood more of the true worship, the true God, the truth of the plan of redemption. And Abraham's household was more than a thousand souls. Many of those actually came from the land of Canaan and were brought into contact with the true God through his business, through his um through his influence, through his talents being dedicated to Christ's service. He didn't just separate the two, but he, into, he brought Christ into everything, every action and thought and time of his, um, of his life. Are we seeing this? So I believe that God has called us to serve him in the temporal affairs of life as well as the spiritual. And diligence in this work is as much a part of of relationship with Christ as his devotion that the Lord is looking for us to recognize our time as a talent our time as a gift and how we're going to use this to labor for souls again if every moment we're valued and rightly employed we're looking at employment we will have time uh, time for everything we need to do for yourself for Christ and for the worlds now in in business, there's often this, this term of looking at a return on investments of your time and seeing like how are the things that if I invest my time into this, what is going to be the return on investment? Did you know that um, how, what if we think about the eternal returns on investment of our time? What are the eternal results of using our time for Christ on earth? Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. There's a beautiful promise here. It's very eye-opening, very liberating. And even I say life-changing. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. I want you to consider something that you may not have seen before. Revelation 22:12. 12. The Bible says, 
This is Jesus speaking. Let's think about the eternal returns on investment of our time. It says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. My what? My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. That's very interesting. So we're not saved by our works, but Jesus said that we are rewarded in heaven according, in proportion to the work that we do on earth. What is that? Did you know that there are actually degrees of reward in heaven? There's what I would say are general rewards. We have the general reward of eternal life. Everybody gets a crown, uh, a crown of life. We get to be with Jesus throughout eternity. There's these general rewards. But did you know that there is actually unique rewards? That there are specific rewards that are in proportion to your work here on earth. What is it that varying degree of reward that, that Jesus is here talking about? I would submit to you that that reward, the greatest reward of the righteous, the eternal riches that God wants to see us is the souls that will be in the kingdom as a result of your labor, Amen. as a result of your work. Think about this. If your business is your means for evangelism, then the more your business grows like Abraham, then the more souls you can come in contact with like Paul, and the more you come in contact with, you're bringing closer and closer to the plan of salvation. You're, you're using your opportunities to lead others to Christ. And the greatest return on investment of our time is seeing someone in heaven for eternity because you chose to invest in that soul's eternal life Amen. with your time. Think about it. Can you imagine? I want you to imagine st you're standing on the sea of glass and there's all the redeemed throughout eternity and they're there. And someone walks up to you and says, you, I remember you. You're the one who shared with me the words of eternal life. I'm here because of you. I was in darkness and I was in so much pain and agony, but you brought light and hope to my life. I'm so thankful that you spoke to me when I had nowhere else to go. You introduced me to Christ and I'm here because of you. The world and business talks about compounding interest, how there's a lot of things where you want to compound your interest. But have you ever thought about the compounding, the compounding, inf the value of a soul in heaven? That as eternity increases, even the value of your time here on earth actually compounds and increases throughout eternity. These are, I, I really want us to consider when we're basing our time to not just look at our time in, in terms of temporal short-sightedness, but think of e the eternal influence, the eternal impacts, and I'd say the eternal income in the sense that souls are in the kingdom and the, the, the reward of seeing the righteous there is unlike any reward that we can see on earth. And again, I'm not saying don't work here. I'm saying work hard, be diligent, improve your time, but use your work as a vehicle for evangelism. And if we do this, I believe we will realize that the value of your time is beyond computation. You can't put a number on it. You can't put a dollar sign on it. You can't put a measurement to how valuable your time is when it's consecrated to the life of Christ, 
when you are seeking to emulate and follow as he lived. We don't, I, I believe that we are living at such a time that we don't have time to bury our talent of time in a career that doesn't allow us to share our faith. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Let's look at the promise that God gives us, gives to the diligent. Proverbs 22, verse 29. There is, Proverbs 22, 29, sometimes it seems that people have like this, these weird, vague ideas of what ministry looks like that maybe I just need to, I need to quit my job. I need to go out and be a missionary and, and I need to, um, I need to just study and pray all day, but just ministry, um, winning souls. And, um, sometimes we, we get these odd ideas that when, when we tend to go in this direction, we, uh, we think that we're, we want to, like, we have desires to go reach the world, but we see that God wants us to reach the world, but he gives us a path and a plan to do it. Notice Proverbs 22, verse 29, the Bible says, Seest thou a man that is what? Diligent. Diligent in his business. He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Or that word mean means average men that what is it that allows you to stand before kings? And maybe not, well, there will be monarchs of nations, but even when you look at the king in principle, those who have abundance of whether wealth, abundance of influence, abundance of skill, of knowledge, the kings of, of different categories in this world, your ability to influence the influencers, to lead leaders will be in proportion to your diligence in your business how you spend your time. Are we just going to bury our time in the earth? Are we going to just turn on Netflix, tune into social media, and just distract our mind just for the sake of entertainment? Are, is life something that we get excited to wake up in the morning? Or is it something that we try to check out from? Is it something that we want to distract our mind? I live much of my life that way. But then I began to realize, when I began to understand the value that Christ places upon my soul and upon the souls of others, and I start to get a sense of his love towards me. I'm like, wow, I want to wake up in the morning. I want to work for God. I want to be diligent. I'm no longer trying to just entertain my mind or distract my mind. I'm seeking to educate my mind. I'm seeking to cultivate my talents for his service so I could do more good for him. And the night, the, the night and day difference when, when you really get a sense of the value that Christ places upon your soul and you begin to realize how he placed it upon your coworker, how he placed it upon your classmates, as he places upon the individual, even your enemies. I pray often and I pray, Lord, please help me to see others through the same lens, the same value that you place upon their souls. When you start praying for your enemies, those who have wronged you, those who have done things, who have treated you poorly, when you start praying, Lord, help me to see them with the same lens that you see them. And it, and it makes a huge difference. It does a lot to change our lives. God wants us to be diligent. And we see that um, we're in Proverbs 22. Let's go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18 and verse 9. In the parable Jesus taught, the man who buried his talent in the earth, 
Jesus wasn't happy. He, he said, thou wicked and slothful servants. He called them in unprofitable servants. That God wants you to profit upon the talents, to improve, to gain, to redeem the talents that he has given us. Um, but that slothful servants, notice um, who the slothful servant is related to in Proverbs 18, 9. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a what? A great waster. Have you been hiding your talents? Have, have it been wasting away in the earth, unemployed, un, un, uh, unimproved? Have, have you really been looking for ways that you can buy back your time at a discount? How you can invest your time in the storehouses of eternity? Or have we been wasting our time? Because we're looking at if every moment were rightly valued and employed, we would have all the time needed to do everything for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. And I believe that God has plans for each one of you. And um, whether or not we follow those plans is going to be um, how we are, it's influenced by how we use our time today, right now. This is what we have. And I find that slothfulness, wastefulness, habits of carelessness and neglect, indulge in secular work, they tend to cross over or transfer to our spiritual life. And that if we are willing to be slothful with uh, the, the simple things of life, then um, if we neglect the little things, then how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation that God has provided to us? There, it, there's no such thing as small things to the Lord. Every, every moment has eternal consequences. We're all building character. Time is, how we spend our time is a reflection of how we're developing character, of who we are as individuals. But praise God, He doesn't leave us with the talents wasted in the earth. He is giving us messages. He's giving us opportunities. Right now, I believe, is a, a life or death message that God is giving each one of us a, being met with a decision. How are we going to use our time? And that may not mean that you will lose your life or die eternally, but it might mean that someone else who you could have reached might lose their life based upon the use of your time today. So what are we going to choose? The second big idea that I wanted to share was that I believe God would have us to turn your calling into your career and to realize that your if your career does not help you or allow you to share what you are called to do, then it might be time to decide for another alternatives or look for other options. But there are opportunities all around us if we would look for them. And the third big idea is um, to really use our time is uh, to be intentional with your time. The third is to be intentional with your time. What does that mean to be intentional? Turn with me to Proverbs. We're in Proverbs. Uh, let's go to Proverbs 29, 18. 
It's important to have a definite aim in life, to have some sort of something we are going towards. Proverbs 29, verse 18, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You guys want to be happy? You guys want to be to live a fulfilled life, a joyful life? I believe God has, these are in his plans for you. But in order to do that, we have to have a vision. What is the vision for your, your, your calling? What is the vision for your business? What is the vision for your skills? What is the vision for your time? What is the vision for your family? your relationships, because if, if you don't have a vision in these areas of life, the Bible says it's going to perish. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but when a car is unused and it's idle and it doesn't turn on or you don't drive it, does that car get better or does it start falling apart? It starts to break. If there's any broken area of our life, it is because we have not gone to the Word of God and flooded our minds with what the Bible says on that area of our life and then worked in harmony there. Because when we do, the Bible, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you what? Free. You can experience freedom from social anxiety. I believe you can experience freedom from the sickness that physically binds us. The freedom to live your calling. The freedom to express to communicate clearly to others. But it is found in searching this word of God, studying and flooding your mind with what the, the law of God says. And the promise is, happy is he that keepeth the law. The law isn't this arbitrary binding and exactions that God's just trying to steal joy from you. It's to give you the greatest joy and peace and fulfillment in life. The more we can harmonize ourselves with the principles of the love of God in his word, the more freedom that we will experience. It requires a vision. It requires a definite aim. Now question, will you ever hit a target that you yourself don't set? No. Fuzzy targets don't get hit. The more clear that you can be on the, on the vision that God has for your life, the more likely you are to hit it. And I believe clarity, direction from God is one of the most important things that we can have. A clarity on your calling, a clarity on your craft, a clarity on where the Lord is leading you with your family, your business, your devotions, your new learnings. Have a vision. Be intentional with your time. And if you can have a vision even with your day, when you when you start up your, your day, actually, I'm going to get to that. But... God wants to have, God, I believe God wants us to have a definite aim. Because the truth is, an aimless life is a living death. An aimless life is a living death. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Armand, could you try to help to see why this isn't charged? Or is it plugged in over there? Hmm. Is there a, is there a, um, 
Yeah, the trips that we have to... We might have to push the button in the center. It's not plugged in. Can you reset the... Uh, yeah, right there in the center. Oh, great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Would not be fun if it, my notes died on us in the middle of the message. So, uh, an aimless life is a living death. The Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1... You're welcome to take a seat. Ephesians 2 and verse 1... And you hath he quickened. What does quicken mean? Made alive, resurrected, who were dead in trespasses and sins. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression of the law. God says that we could be alive. We could be physically moving. We could be going throughout our every day, and yet we are dead. We could be aimless. The law of God gives us, the word of God gives us direction in life. It gives us purpose. It helps us to help uh, clarify our decisions. And God wants us to have a definite aim. And I believe it is the word of God that has, uh, that gives us that, that clarity on our calling. And you know, the truth is few people live. Most people just exist. I, I would encourage you to live life to the fullest. And the only way for us to live life without limits is with the word of God directing our steps. That God's word is what gives us freedom. Don't die with... with, with uh, die. I encourage you to die with memories, not dreams. Did you know that it's okay to dream? We used to do that as a child. And then it seems like as we get older we stop. We have parents or we have loved ones, well-intending people that tend to clip our wings. They say, no, don't be a dreamer. Be realistic. Don't, that's, uh, that's not something that you should really consider. Do something that everybody else has done. But I believe God is calling you to do something very few have done, and that is to live life for Christ, to be able to use your time for Christ in a matter that will impact eternity. Because the truth is, if we go down the same route that the majority is doing, we're going to get the same results that the majority receives. It's going to require something different. I believe it's going to require a definite aim, a vision, a dream. Don't live the same year 70 times in a row and call it a life. Live life the way that God has designed for you. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6. Because I believe there are a lot of people who, well-intending, um, they tend to place limits upon us. That is like, you know, you're a bad communicator. Or uh, teachers who say, like, you just, you don't know how to, how to learn. You've got a learning disability. Or maybe you're, uh, you're a minority. People don't listen to you. There's so many limits that are placed upon us. But I want us to see in Genesis 11:6, what limits do we have? Um, the, does the Word of God say, what, are, what is in the realm of possibility? Very interesting verse. Genesis 11, verse 6. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is what? One language. One. And they have all one what? Language. And, at, and this they began to do. 
and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. That they have what to do? Imagined. So dreamed, exactly, a vision. So God is actually showing here that there's four elements. Now this is in the context of something wrong that was evil, that was something God didn't want, but the same can be applied to the word of God, to truth that your imagination was not given you to run wild, but to be directed under the control of reason and um, our relationship with Christ. That here we see that they were all, the people were one, that is unification. That they all had one language, that's communication. They, um, and this they began to do, that's implementation. And uh, there is nothing that is restrained from what they have imagined to do, that's imagination. It all starts with an imagination. And it all starts with an intention, a dream, a vision. And I would submit to you that that vision comes from the Word of God. Let the Word of God direct your imaginations and possibilities. Is not the the Great Commission such a great, far-reaching goal, something worthy of an aim in life to share with others what God has shared with you? Amen. Amen. It starts with an imagination. And then you get very clear and you start to communicate that dream to those around you. Communicate and don't listen to when people say, be realistic, don't think about that. It's like, you're not gonna reach the whole city. You're not gonna reach people through your career. Just do the same thing that everyone else does. And don't quit being a dreamer, but you communicate because you're gonna find people who believe in the vision that God has given you. You're gonna find people who will mentor you, who will train you, who believes that God is leading you. And you will find opportunities, you'll find supports. And then as you communicate that vision to others, then you start to find unity, you start to find companionship, community. You start to find, you can surround yourself with people that are going in a similar direction as you. And it is an incredible experience for so, for even much of my early years in ministry, I had a lot of people that are saying, don't do certain things, that this is the only way you can share your faith. This is the only thing that you can do and discouraged from um, going down different routes. But I really believe that God was calling me to reach the world, to reach the youth through the internet, to be able to use the internet as a vehicle for service. A lot of people discourage me from doing it. But had I listened to them, then Sherry wouldn't be here. Shanicia wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. And um, I realized that by following the principles in God's word, you can live a life that is so fulfilling. You don't have to wake up and go to a job that you hate, but you can actually wake up and live and enjoy the works of your hands. I truly believe that right now I am living my dream life and I am so thankful for who I get to work with who I get to work for, who I, what I get to do day by day. And I believe that it is God's will for each of us that our joy our, in Christ's presence can grow more and more to the perfect day where each day can get better than the last. We don't have to bury our talents in the ground where it just wastes or where like an unused car that just stays idle and it gets actually worse. But I'm telling you, friends, your talents improve as you put them to use. It is a law of exercise. If you don't use it, you what? You lose it. 
So God is asking you, how are you going to use your time? If every moment was, was rightly valued and employed, we would have all the time needed to do everything for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. I really believe that. Now imagine that you had time for everything that you needed to do. What would you do? Imagine that you had the time. How, how would you live differently? How would you spend your time differently? What would you stop doing today if you had all the time necessary to do for Christ, for yourself, and for the world? What would you start immediately? And what would you do if you knew that you could not fail through Christ who strengthens you? What if you knew that success was inevitable? What would you attempt? What would you, what would you do for Christ and for his service? And I encourage you to do that now. Start. You can make decisions differently. At any time you can choose. If you've been going down a path that you realize, I think one of the scariest things is, is people climb the ladder of their career and they get to the very top only to find out it was leaning on the wrong wall and that was not where the Lord was leading them. But today is an opportunity at any time that we can choose a path that God has intended for us. Turn with me to, actually I'm going to have to skip something. Um, let's look at Luke chapter four, uh, 14, Luke 14 and verse 28. Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus gives us some principles of um, following Christ. He says this to the disciples, Luke 14, 28, and he reveals to us that if any man were going to follow him, he must take up his cross and follow him. Otherwise, he cannot be his disciple. That the cross of Christ is, he's actually giving us a privilege to bear his cross. Luke 14, 28, the Bible says, Jesus is sharing, for which of you intending, what is that word? Intending, we're looking at intention. Intending to build a tower, sitteth not down how? First, and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it. So there is actually a sitting down process. Sometimes we can be so diligent in the things that we do. Sometimes we can be so busy with good things, that it crowds out the important things. And God is saying that, first of all, if you're going to build a tower, I believe our life can uh, largely be represented like a tower or like a building or a house. Someone had to see a plot of land and have a vision for that land and had to imagine that a vehicle could be there. I mean, a, 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 a structure, a building could be there. And... And God wants us to see that your life is like a tower. And if you're going to build this tower, build this structure on the foundation of Christ, sometimes it requires us to sit down and count the cost. Now, a lot of us, are we willing to sit down? Or are we so busy with work, with putting out crisis after crisis, emergency after emergency, urgency to urgency? We live life where it is so the, the hustle and bustle tends to crowd out the things that, that God is calling us to do. But I would encourage us to count the costs, to take that moment and see what is my intention 
for the day? What is my intention for this month? What what's am I called to do during this season of life? To be able to, to see this to fruition, Isaiah 46, verse 10, the Bible says that God declares the end from the beginning. So in like manner, I believe that God would have us to, to begin with the end in mind, to see what is this going to look like this, for this day, for this week, and we can, we can, uh, we can have better understanding to, to maximize the time that we have left. It requires a definite aim. What's your definite aim for your hour? What's your definite aim for your day? What's your definite aim for, for coming together? And you can, and it's incredible what can be done with just a little bit of intention in our lives. To live intentionally, not live accidentally. To be proactive and not just reactive. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. Jesus shows us, would you like to know the secret of living a great life according to Christ? There, you can live a great life in Christ. And there is there's one secret that Jesus shows, and it's counterintuitive. It's not like what the world teaches. It's not like what we initially think or naturally are inclined to. Matthew 23, 11, it shows this is the secret to living a great life in Christ. Verse 11, it says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. Servant. So the path to greatness is through the service of many. It is through service. It is not a life centered on self that buries the talents for myself to protect myself, to waste the talents and gifts that God's given, but it is a life that is invested to the service of Christ and our fellow men. It's by looking to find and solve valuable problems that we're able to see, how can I serve? How can I show up? How can I use my talents, my gifts, my experience, my knowledge, my words? Like look at, take inventory of your talents and say in this experience, in this season of my life, in this uh, environment, in this community, let us come not just to receive, not just to receive a blessing, but to be a blessing. Be the blessing that you want to see in the world. Do to others the way what you would have done to you. This is how you love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's really incredible because we would think naturally that if I protect myself, if I keep to myself, then I could probably avoid a lot of pain. But God didn't create us this way. God created us to serve and to bless others and to serve Him. So the more that we hoard the talents to ourselves, the more that we do not employ our talents, we tend to go downward. We tend to get more depressed, more discouraged, more insignificant. It's incredible because the thing that many of us want, it's like we, some people, they want to make a difference. They want to make an impact. They want to do something significant in their life. But the way to do that is not by trying to avoid making mistakes or avoid like taking risk, but it's actually by by risking ourselves for the service of Christ, for redemption. And that by using and employing our talents to serve others, really that's what every business is. Every business, every ministry is solving a valuable problem. It is serving, it is ministering to a need. This is where we find our purpose in life. And no one who is not daily improving their talents is fulfilling their purpose in life. The improvement comes through challenge 
It comes from stepping out of our comfort zone. Improvement and growth comes from use. And this is how we can live a great life. Sure. Now, um, am I saying that, that we should all become workaholics and that we should just have like this unbalanced work, 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 work? No, not at all. What, what I am saying is that sometimes we have, a, it seems like there's like two extremes represented by Mary and Martha. You see, some are so consumed with maybe idleness or maybe it's learning or maybe it's unintentional consumption of videos, of training, of books, of, of the Word of God. And sometimes we just learn, 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 learn. And there's not much intention there or, or we could go a little extreme in, in idleness. But others can be like Martha, who are busy, who are constantly doing, and it's work, 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 and there's unintentional working. Sometimes we use our work of good things to crowd out, you know, that little voice, that the still small voice that speaks to us when everybody is gone, when there's quietness, when the blinds are shut, the doors are shut, and it's just us alone in our soul with God. And we hear His voice more distinctly, and God is speaking to us and saying, you know that thing? in your life, you, you know, I miss you. You haven't spent time with me as you used to. And when we hear that voice, sometimes it, it scares us. And I believe character is, is largely like who you are when no one's looking. And God wants a relationship with us. But we can use work as a crutch to crowd out the voice of God. It could be good work. It could be work for others, work for souls. It could be so many good things. But my encouragement is to be intentional with our time. To, to have time where you listen to the voice of God. Have time that you serve others. Have time that you uh, listen to the Lord's leading. To sit down and count the cost. Whatever extreme that we may be in, in Mary or Martha, I believe God wants to have us the blend of both combines. And if every moment were valued and rightly employed... We would have time for everything we need to do for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. So the, the third big idea was to be intentional with your time. And the fourth, since we're running out of time, I'm going to go shorter with this. But the fourth big idea is to gather up the fragments of your time. How can we have enough time? Gather up the fragments of your time. Now, where does this come from? In John chapter 6, you can turn with me to John 6, 12. John 6, Jesus is feeding the multitude. He's got thousands of people who are coming together, and he's got a few loaves of bread, and he needs to feed them. And he works a miracle that takes place. God, we add, and God multiplies. Did you know that, like, it's just incredible. So he, right after feeding the, the multitude, a miracle, you're like, this is incredible. He just stretched what little that we had and did something great with it. And you would think that that would be enough. But no, Jesus continues and he adds this, this uh, command that I believe applies to each one of us today in verse 12. And they were filled and said unto his disciples, Gather up the what? The fragments that remain. That how much be lost? Nothing. Nothing be lost. Now he just fed a multitude with a very little. Would you think that there's any fragments that are left there? Not, not naturally. But 
the story continues, verse 13, and therefore they gathered them together and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. I want you to think about this. Many of us were saying at the beginning, we don't feel like we have enough time to serve Christ. We don't have enough time to take care of our health. We don't have enough time to develop those relationships, to be intentional with our relationships. We don't have time to spend with our family, to correct the character defects of our life, to, to learn the skills that will help us to be diligent in business, to stand before kings for Christ. But Jesus is calling us to gather up the fragments of our time that nothing be wasted, that nothing be lost. And even when you have so much service, so much activity, so much responsibility, regardless of what we have, God is asking, how are we using? There's so often we like to focus on what we don't have, but God is asking, well, what do you have? Use that. Instead of focusing all your attention on all the time you don't have, what if we start asking the question, what am I doing with the time that I do have? Because this is the most concerning question of your life, I believe. If, if we can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, the most concerning question of our life is found in, this, in the principle in this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, the Bible says, for if there, first, if there be first a willing mind, a what kind of mind? Willing. A willing mind. It is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. That God is actually asking us to look at what do we have? Did you know that the time that you have, the time that remains, is accepted by God for your, serv for your service? Your time is accepted? according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. The question that concerns us most is not how much talent do we have? How much time do we have? How much skill do we have? The question is, what are we doing with the time that we do have? What are we doing with the, the words that we do have? The ability we have, the knowledge that we have. A lot of times we're like, I've never done this. This is new. I'm, this is a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of being. But I've never done this. And we focus on the scarcity, the lack. But God's saying, I'm ready to give you an abundance. I'm ready to feed the multitude through you. And that if you will trust me and you will gather up the fragments of your time, if you are faithful in the little things, if, if you value every moment, and if you rightly employ every moment, we will have time for everything we need to do for Christ, for yourself, and for the world. So these, um, how many people here are ready to unbury their hidden talents, who are ready to use this for Christ's service? By God's grace, God is, God is calling a people who are willing to be diligent. I'm going to end with this promise here. <clears throat> if we could see in Proverbs 21, last verse. Proverbs 21 and verse 5. There's a beautiful promise if we would gather up the fragments, if we would employ the pockets of our time with intention, with love, with service. Proverbs 21 verse 5. Notice what the Bible says 
a promise to the diligent. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to what? Are, are we there? Proverbs 21, 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to? Plenteousness. But to everyone that is hasty, only to wants, only to scarcity, to lack, to not enough. But God is actually promising that if we would be diligent, we would have plenty of time. We'd have all the time that we need. Time is not your limitation. It's the thoughts of the diligent, the character of Christ, the thoughts and feelings of Christ that is seeking to develop in each one of you and me. That as we start to dedicate our talents to Christ's service, we uncover your hidden talents and you give your life to Christ, dedicate your time to the service of God and our fellow man. This is how God is going to do great things through each one of you. If it's your desire to, to unearth these talents, to maximize your time, to dedicate your time, if you're ready to receive the promise that you'll have all the time to do what God has called you to do, then I invite you to uh, close with me for a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we are very grateful for this privilege that we have to open your word. We are grateful for the counsel that you have given us regarding our talents. You have helped uh, some to discover some talents that they had that they did not realize. Father, I pray that you will help direct our minds to not the things that we lack, not the things that we don't control, but help us to see what can we influence. What in our life can we be more intentional about? What in our life can we deliver and to give to your service? And today, Lord, with the saints in hearing, we, we want to make decisions for whatever it is that you are leading us to, you're bringing to our remembrance, you are calling us higher, you are, you are revealing to us the things, the beliefs, the activities, the hobbies, the relationships. There may be something in our life that we have um, allowed to crowd out our usefulness for you. But Father, I pray that you will come into each of our lives wholeheartedly, that you would um, fill our hearts with love and joy and peace as we surrender our lives to you daily. And Father, I pray that you will use us in your service. Thank you, Father, for revealing your plans to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.